Okay, Google, play the Sideline Hustle podcast. Sure, the Sideline Hustle football podcast. Here's where you left off. What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Drew Lieberman. I'm slow packing. <laughs> Our days here are numbered. Even the way we've come up in the world, think about it. We've created the website ourselves. We've made this podcast ourselves. Like everything's been done just by us hustling. And you are now listening to the Sideline Hustle Podcast. We talk about doing this show. Yeah, we, we laugh and we joke and we complain about how hard we work. But if we didn't love to coach, we wouldn't be doing it. I want the good guys in. Get them out of there. I want the good guys in. To me, I think we're broadcasting the day-to-day life of what college football is. From the sidelines, we gotta hustle cause we gotta eat. From the sidelines, we got some goals that we still gotta reach. What's up? This is your host, Drew Lieberman, bringing you another Throwback Thursday edition of the Sideline Hustle podcast. On today's episode, we talking about practice. Practice? We're talking about practice, man. This was originally episode five of the Sideline Hustle podcast, which was released about a year ago. And it leads in perfectly to uh, our next episode coming out, which will be focusing on conditioning, the different methods of conditioning, our theory uh, using conditioning as a punishment, as a way to prepare your cardiovascular levels for competition, and as a way to build toughness. So I thought it was appropriate that this week we, we bring it back to, to episode five, talk about the way coaches structure practice, um, players' thoughts about fighting through a practice and and their favorite drills and everything you might want to know about what really is the most important aspect of football, and that's the work that goes in during the week that the fans and media don't see leading up to game day. And as a coach, I mean, I I always felt like I could tell if we were going to play well on Saturday, pretty much on on a Thursday each week based on the way we practice. And and I haven't been around many teams that are able to have a poor week of practice and come out and, and play great on Saturday. And vice versa, you know, I haven't been around many teams that have a great week of practice and then don't perform well on Saturday. As corny or played out as the saying may be, you truly do play the way you practice and and there's nothing more important in coaches' minds and the players who really take pride in the way they practice are the ones who ultimately end up having the most success at the highest level. So so I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. Uh, We have some amazing stories on this episode, especially from uh, former Penn State defensive lineman Sean Stanley, who's now the D-line coach at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, where I was coaching last year. He tells a couple great Joe Pa stories, which, which you guys probably are familiar with from the intro to the podcast. Um, so, so enjoy that. Coach Friedgen's on the podcast. Uh, Mike Teal's on the podcast, as well as Gary Nova and myself. Uh, really one of our better episodes, one of my favorites to, to relive and listen to again. So I hope you guys enjoy. What other things stood out to you about Coach Paterno's practices? It would always be interesting, like when we were in a team drill or he came over to watch one-on-ones or something and like something just really bugged him. What's up, guys? This is Sean Stanley, defensive line coach at Wesleyan former Penn State defensive lineman. He would finally like get involved, grab a guy by the helmet, yell so everybody could hear him, like to let everybody know that like he was displeased with something. I think the biggest thing that will always stick with me is one time we were in one-on-ones. We had a senior walk-on that, again, I don't blame him. He was trying to earn a spot. He was trying to kind of show the coaches what he could do. Me as a freshman, I'm like, I'm just happy to be here. I kind of don't know who this guy is or whatever, like the, and everything. So he pushed me out of the way, like, no, I'm taking this rep. During one-on-ones, I'm like, all right, go ahead, buddy. 
he he puts his hand in the ground, and uh, Coach Returner's sitting right there, and he blows his whistle, and he stops the whole drill, and he's just like, I want the good guys in! Get them out of there! I want the good guys in! And everybody's just looking around, like, you feel so bad for this guy, like, he's just trying to prove himself, and I don't think Coach Returner meant anything, like, awful by it, like, he wasn't trying to, like, embarrass the guy, like, he just... He didn't want to see that guy go against the second team (laughs) off the tackle. So he's like, get him out of there. And everybody's kind of like standing there like, what do we do? Just move out the way. So then I stand up, like go take my turn and everything like that. But that was just one of the funniest things. That is so good. Your Joe Pa impression is so on point. Yo, that is going to be the intro to your episode. Maybe the whole practice episode. What the good guys. Practices need to be hard. The head coach, you're responsible for everything. You're responsible for the structure of practice. You're responsible for the flow of practice. You're responsible for each coordinator first and then each position coach to make sure that they're coaching their either units or positions the way you want it coached. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Mike Teal, head football coach at Don Bosco Prep, former quarterback for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights and the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, it's almost as a head coach, you're a manager. You're, you're watching practice. You're, you're taking notes. You're doing the things that a CEO would do of, of a company. You have to oversee the entire operation and ultimately how practice flows and how practice is run is, is on your part. It's on your watch. Yeah, it used to frustrate the hell out of me, and you knew this, Sandra, because you know, we, I never knew where the hell I was going to practice on the practice field. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one day we'd be in one end zone. It was hard to do, know what drills you could do on how much space you had. This is Ralph Friedgen, former head coach at the University of Maryland. That, that often gave me an opportunity to coach a little bit because I would get to the to that area of the field ahead of you and you just tell me to start the drill. Well, that wasn't hard to do, but I mean... <laughs> but I've had the whole field laid out and, you know, I had them numbered and then I had an A, a B, or a C. A was to the left side, B was to the middle, and C was to the right side. So if you were in 3A, you kind of knew where you were. I remember you always used to say to the quarterbacks, you know, you would be really hard on them and demanding in practice, and you would always say that, listen, playing for me in practice is going to be harder than playing in the game, so I'm going to put so much stress on you. And talk to me more about like, your mindset building building that with your players as far as habits and the environment in practice. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important. Like, practices need to be hard, whether it's a quarterback or whether it's a receiver or, you know, whatever it is. You've got to be able to perform when you're tired and you're hurting and you're hot out and all of the different things. If, if that hits you in, in the game and you can't handle it, you're not going to win. That has to be like, oh, we've been here before. This is not, there's a time where you got to back off too. And so they get their legs on them and get ready to go. I mean, again, under Paterno, practice was two and a half, three hours. Like, again, as a player, you just thought you were out there forever. What's up, guys? This is Sean Stanley, defensive line coach at Wesleyan former Penn State defensive lineman. And you thought that was a big difference in Coach O'Brien's practices was that they, there was just no wasted time and and you kind of got your conditioning during practice? Yeah, like again, I think most schools do it now. Like you're not standing around, you're not walking at practice, like everything's a run. You're getting where you need to be and now you're active and everything like that. Where under Paterno, I wouldn't say we walked around, but there was just a lot of times where a lot of people weren't doing things. Yeah. Going back to now the Bill O'Brien days is it was just more efficient and more effective that Coach Johnson would kill us during Indy, so we're going 30 minutes of Indy, running around, and the next thing we know, it's not go get water. It's sprint over to NASCAR period, where now it's no huddle, and 
you're going six plays as fast as you can. Offense is running off plays 20, 20 seconds at a time. And again, it, it taught you to think while you're tired. Yep. You got to look over to the sideline. You can't walk back and everything yep. like that. You got to sprint back, find the signal. Um, what defense are we in? Get your hand down and play play another play. And I think that's something that was very beneficial to us where you actually kind of felt why you were doing it rather than just running. As a GA, I definitely was nervous before practices because I knew I was going to get my ass ripped. But compare, like, you know, just preparing yourself mentally for a practice as a player versus a coach. Yeah, I think as a player, early on it's always tough because, you know, there's so much stuff getting thrown at you. But by the time you go through it once or twice, you know, meaning you get to your sophomore, junior year, if you're redshirt, possibly redshirt sophomore year, you, you know what to expect. I think that's the biggest thing. That The one thing I always thought was beneficial as a player was being consistent, being consistent in the practice plan and in the structure of it and what you do, because it brings some regularity to what the practice is like. So as a player, you know, I always knew after after individual, we're going to the first team period. After that, we're going to a seven on seven period. And you kind of you were able to plan and, and know what was going on. You know, as, as a coach, it's well, how do I make my practice as efficient as possible while maximizing the amount of reps that I can get with the players and not killing them? Perfect example of that is our, our first week of practice. We were doing team periods that were going about 25 plays. And what we found is we have one offensive line, really, with, with one or two subs that, that rotate in to get some reps. But it's not like we have two groups, you know, where like a Division One school would have two groups of an offense and a defense. We have, we have about a group and a half on both sides. So what we did, instead of going 25 plays and having two team periods for the day, we went four team periods for the day and we went 12 plays per period. So we're, we're going full speed for 12 plays, horns blowing, running to the next period, whether it's one-on-ones, whether it's an indie period for the O&D lines or doing special teams, whatever it is, but shortening the amount of plays and putting more periods in to try to maximize the effort that we're able to give. You look at it in college, you run 25 plays in a team period and the ones come in and then twos come in and the ones go back in and then twos yeah. go back in. So it ends up being about the same, you know, and, and what we'll do too is when we're done with our final team period, the the varsity players or the older guys that are getting reps now in practice, they'll go down and condition with our strength coach and the young the young players get a an indie period for ten minutes and then they get a, a fifteen minute team period. So we're trying to develop our entire roster. All my practices were laid out on what I call the part-hole method. The first thing we did every day was we had two two-point plays that we practiced every day. Now, they were different, but when do you ever practice two-point plays? You know what I'm saying? So we would, that would be the first thing we did. Then we would kick extra points, and then we would kick field goals. That would be one special team for the day. Then we would have an individual period. So we would do some form of individual. It's probably about a 10-minute period, but every position did what they wanted to do. All of a sudden, you knew you were in for a ride when you have got done to a stretch, go to Indy. I love Coach Johnson. He was someone that was going to just kill you in Indy, get the best out of you and everything you did. He would set up 50-yard bag drills. 
<laughs> we would literally just go 30 minutes from drill to drill. We, just explain running. it. You're telling me he took up he took up 50 yards of the whole field with bag drills yeah. for the defensive so line. So again, like we had um, two 100 yard grass fields and then we had a 100 yard turf field. He would literally take up 50 yards of the turf field <laughs> and just bag drills. And there'd be like eight different drills. We would go from drill to drill. Like everybody would go through once or twice in five minutes and we'd move on to the next one by the time you were gassed. And the next thing you know, you're doing inside run. And you literally can't breathe. You haven't had water yet. And we're still using a fullback and everything like that. It's power run game. You're a defensive end going against split zone. The fullback's lined up almost outside the tackle. Just right. running full speed, yeah. trying to kick you out. Yeah. And you got to spill it. And you're doing that eight straight plays. Right. Explain explain the technique of, of spilling a kickout block like that. Yeah, so, I mean, you have a, just a guy running full speed at you. And you're supposed to take your um, outside shoulder and get out get underneath him and work yourself back up the field so you literally you're just getting teed off on (laughs) there's not much you can do it's a train on train collision then we went to ball security very much from what we did at Rutgers and then we did a group period I had like a two on two drill right like like tackles and tight ends like combo blocking and stuff like that right and then like 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 quarterbacks receivers thrown together well I had the quarterbacks and the fullbacks on the three on two so we had two guards and a center fullback and a quarterback and then we, on defense, we had two defensive tackles and a Mike linebacker. And then on, at the same time, on the other another part of the field, we had the tackles and tight ends. We had a tailback over there. And we run outside zone or inside zone. Or what. So we were working on, it always used to drive me nuts where, you know, you, if you're an offensive line guy and you're trying to work on certain blocks and you were working against other offensive line guys, if you could work that against a defensive guy, you were, you could get both things done. and Yeah, and get a better look at it. Yeah. Yeah, and the kids had to understand that we're working on technique, you're working on reads. It wasn't a, and, and this, I really had to coach the coaches on. It's not a win or lose situation. We're working on technique, we're working on reads. So that would be a five minute period, and we would get maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 reps in five minutes. And then I had it on tape, I watched it every day. And then in that group period, the other thing we did was press and release with the wide receivers and the yeah. DBs. It was some form of group work. Against offense versus against defense. Each other. Right. Okay? Then if we did inside run, you know, normally what, what the wideouts and DBs were doing, they were doing one on one, or they were doing some kind of drill together. We, they may be doing, we do run support, but they were going against each other. And then I would have a passing period. Sometimes I'd have a one-on-one period where everybody did one-on-one. We had the, the outside backers and in, inside backers against backs and pass protection. We would have the offensive line every day. They did pass protection. But sometimes we did a pass skelly with them, which we did like one time in Rutgers. And I always liked that because quarterback felt the rush and skelly. When coach says skelly, that's just an old school word for a passing period or, or what is now known as seven-on-seven. Seven. The way we did skelly at Rutgers, I don't think, I mean, you, you, to me, we should have thrown 90% every time. I mean, there was no, you know, there was nothing to it. I also did a half field skelly, which I thought was great for the quarterback and reading people. But I would mix all, I did all these drills. I'm the guy that, you know, I put it all together. When we got out of half the period, then every day I did an eight minute blitz drill. No script on this. My offensive coaches hated it. You're talking about like blitz pickup? Yeah. So we went, it's kind of like what we did in two minutes. They're going to blitz you, okay? Well, our co- the offensive coaches didn't like it because, especially going against Don Brown, who had all these exotic blitzes, they, they didn't think it helped them to get ready for the game, you know? 
And I said, if your protections are good and you know your protections and you have an answer for everything, what the hell difference does it make? But you have to go full speed to run it. So every time we did it, we'd get 12 reps in eight minutes. And we'd go maybe eight, four, you know, eight with the first team, four with the second. And invariably, as the head coach, if there were six good plays for the offense and six good plays for the defense, I'd probably be happy. More stuff came up on that as far as sight adjust and hot. And I imagine like blitz indicators too for the quarterback. Yeah, and what what really happens is when you get good at handling the blitz, it's like handling press. If you can beat press, there's a certain confidence. Come on and press our we're going to light it up. And you take so much control of the game. You know, you dictate so much of the game when that's the case. And it was really funny because our line coach came down to Charleston about about three or four years after I left Maryland. And we were having lunch and he said to me, you know, and and this guy wouldn't say a bad thing about anybody. He said, you know, coach, I hate to tell you this, but I really miss blitz drill. (laughs) I started laughing. (laughs) I said, why is that? He says, we only walk through blitzes right now. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, there's no way to handle a blitz unless it's coming full speed. Those bullets are live then, and you really find out how fast you have to react. So we did that every day. The one thing that we've tried to focus on this year early is special teams. We've been really good at special teams over the long period of time at Bosco. The last couple of years, we haven't been as good as we've been. So we've changed a little bit of what we do, but we've also spent a lot of time on it. We spend about 10 minutes in pre-practice doing special teams individual or whatever team period is going to be that day. We work on individual stuff. And then we get to the practice script where we have two 12-minute special teams periods. So we're we're definitely committing time to, to that aspect of the game because... You know, it's the third of the game. We need to we need to make sure that we're able to execute. And then we we might have a special teams period in there for ten minutes, eight minutes. I think I did sometimes. At Rutgers, you know, we, to me, we we really overwork special teams, in my opinion, because we work every phase of special teams every day. And not that special teams are not important, but you get what forty five snaps of special teams during a game. You may get 80 or 90 snaps of offense or defense. I really think what that was, Coach, is that Rutgers became so well-known for their special teams performances. Like, they have, you know, like over the last 10 years, they have, like, 12 more block kicks than the next team. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it was. I think it was, like, such a tradition at Rutgers that special teams wins us football games. We have the best special teams in the country. And I think it almost became, like, a stigma that we're Rutgers. We have to work on special teams. You know, I I had Shane Beamer as a GA for me, and he told me we worked more special teams than they did at Virginia Tech. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and and Virginia Tech has notoriously been one of the best special teams yeah. programs in the country. And I, and I had 10 years at Maryland and never had a punt block. Wow. In 10 years. Wow. So And I, and I did my punt protection before, you know, while we did pre warm-up, you know, I mean, we did that first thing. And I, we had some great return turn guys and you know, we didn't block, we blocked some kicks. We didn't block as many as probably Rutgers did, but we did block some. And so I just, I thought we could have used that time better, in my opinion, to have the offensive line working more individual stuff and the defensive line working more individual stuff or group work. To me, more group work than anything else. But that's me. And I think, we you know, with what we're doing, it's, you don't practice every special teams every day. You, you have each day, you have a certain team that you're working. Like today, we, we work kickoff return. Yesterday was kickoff. The day before that was punt. So, you know, you spend, you know, 24 minutes a day, you know, in a, in a two hour and 30 minute practice where you're working that specific situation.
And then I had three team periods, and that was based on, you know, I put the parameters on it, whether it was down and distance, whether it was third down. If it was red zone, you had down and distance in that too, or two minutes or coming out. We usually, I, I usually mixed it up. And when we did the scripts, the offense just got the offensive scripts, the defense just got the defensive scripts. Myself and the managers are the only ones who got all the scripts. They got both, right? You know, I, I got tired of all that. It was worse than the NFL. Where like so coaches, I, coaches would want to know what they were running, and they would they would change the plays and, and game plan against it in practice just to be all, successful in practice. All the, all the defense would get would be down and distance personnel group. That was it. Because that's all you know and, in the game anyway as a defense. I, I would give them that, and that's all they need to know. And, and then the other thing I put in here is you know practice tempo. You know, right. I have four practice tempos. If if it was shadow. Nobody touched anybody. So we're going past Kelly in its shadow. The defensive guy would come up and he would make a play on the ball, but he wouldn't hit the wide receiver. He wouldn't break up the ball. Right. If it was if it was tag off, then everybody had to get two hands on the guy. When we had tag off, I was looking at pursuit angles and everybody getting there. And then if it was stud, it was stud both ways. You know, when we get to contact, I want the defense to wrap up, but I want the running back to accelerate too. You know, I don't want anybody on the ground. And then if it's scrimmage, it's all out scrimmage. So you had to explain all of that. And then, you know, I, I put it on the practice plan. Okay, this is a thud period, or this is a shadow period, or this is a tag off period. And we try to structure the practice where it's going from period to period, where the tempo is up high, where they're getting conditioning during practice. No, I think the, the fun thing that we've been doing the last couple of days is mixing in some conditioning in between team periods. So, you know, and it's not necessarily even for the conditioning aspect of, of playing. It's more so the mental aspect of being able to work when you're tired. You run two gassers and then you get back in the huddle and, and you do a 10-play team period or 12-play team right. period. You have to execute yep. and think when you're tired. I think that that's shown our guys that they're in pretty good shape. What about conditioning during practice? Did he think, did Joe Pa condition you guys a lot? I mean, it didn't matter if it was a preseason practice during the season or we're getting ready for a bowl game. Like, you're just hoping that the conditioning was 10 striders, like 100-yard striders. Because after that, like, it was just torture. We would have practices where we're doing six gassers after two minutes. Everybody's just going through a two-minute period where, for most people that might not know, like, you're going maybe, if the offense has a good drive, like, you're going 10, 12 plays as fast as you can. There's no real break. It's not like we were getting water. It was literally get on the sideline. We're running sideline back, sideline back. And, and that's one rep. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to make it in 40 seconds. That's what was on everybody's mind. Like you weren't worried about, oh, that was the last team period. How did I do? Like, yeah. What's the conditioning? What's the conditioning? But then it kind of got ridiculous. Like my junior year, we'd go an hour and 20 minutes. Halfway through, we'd be like, it's halftime. We're going to do conditioning because that's what you do at halftime. Um, right, that's, that's what happens in real life. <laughs> so, like, we would run 5, 10, 15, like, 10 of them, take a water break, go back into practice, and then at the end of practice, run gassers. The guy who I've talked to you a lot about, Anthony Campanelli, coaches at Boston College, who, who's the best coach I've ever met, he he was talking to me about the importance of conditioning. If you're not conditioned, the minute you get tired, you become, you become weak. If you're not conditioned and the game is on the line and you're at all tired, your brain isn't even capable of focusing on the job at hand or how to execute your route, how to beat this guy. Whatever your job is, your brain isn't even capable of focusing on it because all it's focused on is, like, it, all it's focused on is breathing. Think about what happens when someone's got their hand around your neck and you can't breathe. Like, like you, you succumb to everything. You become completely soft, completely unable to fight back. Like, you, you lose all the stuff that makes you a good football player when all you're focused on is breathing. Like, you'll, you'll do anything to get that air back and you're not thinking about the task at hand. And 
there's something to be said for conditioning after practice and having a team that's in shape and never has to worry about getting gassed during a game. I actually like the idea of conditioning in the middle of practice rather than the end because now you're making guys kind of do that that conditioning work and then kind of think while they're tired when you're in the fourth quarter against Ohio State and you've got to make that pass rush to make that sack and everything in the two-minute drill. Are you going to be able to get through, fight through that tiredness and everything yep. like that? And I think it's something that helped us. Like, again... I think we were a very good fourth quarter team yeah. in my time at Penn State. And I think that has something to do with it. I did a lot of crazy things. You know, I, we used to have a goal line run. I took the linebackers and put them on the one yard line. I took the back and put them on the five yard line. And they had a run between five yards to score. No blocking. My philosophy was we get to the one yard line, you shouldn't need a block to get in. EJ Henderson, my middle linebacker, he hit Bruce Perry by starting tailback, picked him up and drove him back about 10 yards and deposited his ass. <laughs> And the coaches thought I was nuts, but you know what? Bruce Perry started to turn out to be a pretty good back because he started lowering his shoulder and getting down in there. I was trying to coach toughness too, you know, and, and competitiveness. The other thing is walkthroughs. I think walkthroughs are really important and they need to be done right. Now, I thought we got a lot done in, in walkthroughs at, at Rutgers, you know. I was actually a little leery of how we practiced that year, you know, where we, we uh, had Monday off and then, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday and then Thursday was a walkthrough and then Friday. We got caught up on that walkthrough. I mean, we see, I always practiced on Mondays and gave them Sundays off because we got more of our first down and normal down game plan in on Monday. When you put the rest of it in on Tuesday, you know, it went better. And then Thursday was more of a, just a, a review of everything, where to me, we were catching up on things on Thursday that we weren't doing well on Tuesday and Wednesday because it was Wednesday was third down red zone goal line. Tuesday was normal downs and third down, you know, and on Monday, we got most of our normal downs and long and second and long in and then Tuesday was continue with normal down and then third down and then Wednesday was third and long red zone goal line you know what I'm saying and then you'd rip the whole thing again on Thursday mm -hmm. Friday to me was just we'd have a 15 minute run through and then everything was game situation substitutions you know and that it was about an hour practice and we were done but we were just went out I don't think we even had helmets on but the situations we made had I think I had 40 situations that came up during the game. I mean, I think one thing I can definitely talk on it is that with the longer practices is a lot of guys got diagnosed with concussions that might not have had concussions. They were just dehydrated because we were out there for three and, hours yeah. and you weren't getting su sufficient water and stuff yeah. like that where you were just getting headaches because you were dehydrated. Right, and, and, like and did a little bit of banging. We're, we're like under O'Brien, like we had less injuries and like it's something that works in the safety and everything like that. We right. weren't hitting as much and everything, but the way football is going, like the shorter practices being more efficient, not tackling guys to the ground is like mm -hmm. the way we're going to go. It's, a, it, it's an interesting arms race right now between, like in all seriousness, the fate of football kind of depends on this. It's an interesting arms race between the science of preventing concussions versus strength and conditioning. Because like Ralph said, kids are bigger, faster, stronger, right? So that means a bigger, faster, stronger kid running into another kid who's bigger, faster, stronger. The collisions are going to be more violent. They're going to be, they're going to cause more injuries. And it's an arms race between how fast are the kids going to grow versus how fast is the technology and the science going to improve to prevent concussions. And whichever one wins will literally determine the fate of football. If at some point the kids are too fast and too big and too strong, 
to run into each other and kids start dying on the field, football's done. If science catches up and you have helmets that'll prevent concussions, you can figure out other things to prevent concussions and it's at least keeping people more safe, it will continue. And that's all we've got for this throwback Thursday edition of the Sideline Hustle podcast. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, I think this is you know one of our best episodes, really dense episode, a lot, of, a lot of information in there, a lot of great stories. But hopefully you guys were able to find some value in the discussions we had. And you know, if you want to continue those discussions on Twitter, Instagram, DM me. I'd love to have them you know live on Twitter, or we can throw them up on the Instagram story and just see what people think about about some of the topics that, that we brought up in this episode. You know, like I mentioned, our next new episode for the Sideline Hustle podcast is going to be focusing on conditioning, uh, the different ways we condition players, uh, the hardest conditioning that players have ever been through, and you know our philosophy on how to use conditioning as punishment, use it to build cardiovascular strength, and also use it to build toughness. So I think that this practice episode leads into that pretty appropriately, and uh, will be a really interesting episode for you guys. So that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Like I said, if you need to contact me directly, at Sideline Hustle on Instagram and Twitter for all the information and video library and podcast live library for the sideline hustle visit the sidelinehustle.com everything you need is right there i will see you guys next week i hope you have a great weekend peace the ghetto will fellow the more oh my god they speak venomous on the boy oh my lord my enemy is fear and i'm sure oh my god they want the end of me because i'm pure oh my lord discipline for the win i just go for it it's a trend for these men to die on their own sword Journey far, learn who you can be But you can learn who you are when you around family Chip off the shoulders of soldiers On a grizzle My granddaddy Mac Little married Danny Little They passed down wisdom, blessings were given Pray my sins don't get passed to my children I made a killing I'm alive like the morning star Call Jordans for the price on stocks Of what the hornets are I need evaluations, I'm savvy y'all Eating fagua and caviar Listen Don't fall too far from the apple